Hello, my name is Ben McCarthy and welcome to this week's episode of Anything But Square. Today, we're joined by Travis Garone, Movember co-founder, global brand and creative director. As well as Movember, Travis is the co-founder of cult streetwear label Doomsday and creative agency People Make Progress. Travis has created countless street art, murals, graffiti artworks and installations, as well as collaborating on creative projects all over the world, and even created a new character for the beloved Mr. Men series. Travis, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name's uh, Travis Garoni. I'm born and bred in, in Melbourne. You know, sort of, you know, lived a very much a, a normal Melbourne life right through to the day my life changed when uh, I had a, uh, a chance meeting with, a, with an old friend of mine. I'm married to a beautiful Catalan woman who is back in Barcelona at the moment. And yeah, that, that's, that's kind of us. Obviously, I think one of actually the biggest men's health organizations is obviously Movember. I think for myself, who's very much a young, a young adult, you know, in his, um, uh, in his, in his very early 30s, and very much, I think, growing up with, with the organization and the campaigns and things like that, which is absolutely amazing. And I, and I really must uh, very much um, uh, congratulate you and everyone else who's, who's worked on it. So I would actually just like to take a bit of a step back and very much ask you how how Movember started. Well, thank you for your kind words, first and foremost. And, you know, it's, it's not just me. There's a huge team around me and especially at a global level that, um, you know, really help deliver not only Movember, but, you know, deliver these campaigns as well. I mean, it's a small team, but, you know, some really, really talented crew that I'm fortunate enough to uh, sort of, you know, work work alongside in, in the creative trenches. I have a right-hand man or maybe a left-hand man, maybe I'm the right-hand man when it comes down to my old mate Lucky or Luke Slattery. There is two of us, you know, involved in this conversation. And um, Lucky and I had bumped into each other, probably not seeing each other for over a decade. We actually went through college together and a chance sort of meeting really kind of worked out that we had similar jobs. You know, we worked in similar industries. I was probably more more on the creative and marketing side and Lucky's probably more on the marketing and sales side but obviously you know the two things go hand in hand so you know we put sort of Sundays aside to go uh, skateboarding really and to to catch up and it's kind of the same it's they were they were the industries that we were working in very much kind of youth culture counterculture kind of um, mentality so it was a hot Sunday afternoon and we had finished doing what we were doing in Edinburgh Gardens you know, in uh, sort of North Fitzroy there. And uh, we just went back into Brunswick Street to have a have a beer. And it was really having this conversation where we were just jumping around, you know, I've got an agency up the road, I've been doing this, I've been a creative director here, I've been doing this, I've been travelling the world. And, you know, obviously Lucky's telling me the same thing and from business to culture to trends and to fashion. Because, I mean, when you say you work in skateboarding, you work in the rag trade, you work in apparel, other than your hard goods of actually, you know, the physical skateboard itself, you know, what, you, what you're really focused on is, you know, all, all your clothing. Um, and he worked for some competitors, I would say. And, you know, that, that was kind of, so there was this trend thing that we were talking about. It was quite what, you know, what's coming up, what's past, what's been. And there was a, there was a guy in the Melbourne skate scene at the time who actually had a moustache and we were talking about that. You know, I was bringing Lucky up to speed the fact that I'd just been living in Canada and I'd been living abroad for an extremely long time and uh, 
that aside, uh, I was also sort of called in to work for a breast cancer organization and I was giving Luke the kind of the update. And that sort of led to the fact that, you know, we're talking about there was nothing for men, you know, know, women are so good at looking after themselves and they're just so on top of everything. And, you know, I was like, man, if we could be sort of, you know, like an inch or a centimeter of what the girls are in our lives, we'll be successful, huh? Like men need something to do. And why why are charities always pulling on heartstrings? You know, why, why, you know, why, why, why? And, you know, to be super honest, we were just so naive to the cancer journey at the time. You know, I don't have really cancer in my family to some extent. I, we have obviously other things that are probably going to, you know, turn the lights off. But at the end of the day, I hadn't really been emotionally connected to the cancer journey and no disrespect, right? But it, it probably allowed me to think outside the square or, or, or to actually think unemotionally about something. And that kind of, that's always a good thing. Our thinking or our mindset at the time actually put us in a really good spot to create something, to do something differently. We're simple creatures, Ben. We're just us men, you know. Um, if we can keep an idea simple, we can keep a concept simple, especially in the world of agencies and creatives and campaigns and global stuff, you know. It's it's probably easier to overcomplicate than to simplify. Uh, and, you know, you know, my birthday's at the end of November in the last couple of days, so we knew we were going to have a party then. I think I, I think I was turning 30 at the time. I kind of threw around how long would, would it take to actually grow a, a decent moustache? And, you know, it was like four weeks. And it's when Lucky turned around and goes, hey, we'll call it November. Like, yeah, cool, man. Do you want another beer? Let's, let's work through this, you know. It wasn't you know, striking gold moment. It's like, yeah, right, cool, whatever. Um, And it was really this kind of innocent, naive approach to, hey, let's create a platform for men. And and, and again, from that initial incubation moment, it was about getting guys to talk. Uh, That was our focus. Um, How do we get guys to have these conversations? And, you know, I'm sure it's a global thing, but in Australia, the, the, the men, the mentality, and 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 in New Zealand, actually, you know, the mentality for is she'll be right, mate. And to hear my dad sort of constantly go to that as a not a catchphrase, maybe as a as a comforting kind of thing, I was like, this is not right. It's not. It's not cool. Oh, it's not. It's like that statement just doesn't sit well with me. How do we change? the psyche of dudes to not think like that and to actually think, you know what, it'll be right if I actually look after myself. It'll be right if I do something about it. And it won't be okay if I just think it's going to work itself out. Well, I, I got home and I saw an ad for the Epworth Hospital actually here in Richmond in, in Melbourne. And um, it was something to do with prostate cancer. And I remember they flashed the numbers up on the television screen. And I was like, hang on a minute there. That's up there with breast cancer. You know, I, I, I don't think it was as bad at the time, um, but I was like, wow, the numbers for breast cancer are just unacceptable, right? you know, um, and why don't I know why? So I'm sort of ringing lucky. I'm going, have you ever heard of prostate cancer? He's like, no, you know, what is it? And I'm like, oh, my God. Do, and <laughs> this is 2003, right? This is three years before YouTube. <laughs> uh, the internet was kind of like this whole new thing for us. Um like, I don't know, jump on the internet and have a look around, you know. Uh, and that's when we realised how sort of serious this this disease was and how um, 
non not talked about. I'd never, I'd really never heard about it to be honest. So that's what led us to focus on prostate cancer. It was not the fact that my father had it or my uncles or anyone in in our family. It was it was just the fact that I don't know this chance turn the television on just to zone out before I go to bed and this big number flashed up and that's kind of how that all started we've got 30 days it's a 30-day challenge it's a huge commitment huh um a massive commitment you know you look kind of creepy (laughs) you you it's itchy it's awkward your loved ones are kind of off you you know your kids if you got them kind of don't know who they're who they're (laughs) who's in the house um so you're going right how do we make sure Guys come back every year uh, and participate. How do we make sure the the girls and the loved ones around us actually will tolerate this kind of, you know, month? Um, and how do we make sure the most money possible can get through to where it needs to be? And that, with our thinking, uh, you know, basically led us to create the recipe or, or the sort of the strategy and the mindset of, of what Movember is and, and is still today. Keep it simple. Keep it about men. Keep it about mustaches, real mustaches, huh? Not just stick on a plastic mustache from the petrol station. That's, that's a red nose day and they do a great job. We don't need to go there. This is something a little bit different. Men's health in general was still a relative taboo subject. I think that was not something that was publicly discussed as much for you and Lucky was there a particular moment a particular design or particular video or something that got you and Lucky to actually realize we've actually cracked it we have actually figured out a way to actually get everyone on board and actually talk about this there was so many moments along the way you know and when you say I love I love the word disrupt that's kind of like a real boardroom uh, term, you know. It's like uh, it's a very polite way of saying we're here to just absolutely destroy the place and do something totally different. And that's kind of my mentality. And I love now being disruptive, you know. And that's it. I don't know really what that kind of means. All I know is, I don't know. I've just got to believe in it. I've got to love it and trust it. And and. When you're a creative working on big brands and other stuff and small brands and startups and, you know, there's a lot of structure that comes with those things. There's a lot of big templates that comes with working for mega brands and stuff like that. So I didn't. I never saw it as being disruptive. I just kind of see it as doing what I thought we needed to do. Lucky and I, we started off with a list of like what not to do and what we would never become. And there's a million great charities in the world and we've all grown up with dodgy ones, right? So we really wanted to make sure that we just did it the way that we wanted to. Like you were saying right at the start, we were creating campaigns, you know, and I was very heavily influenced by uh, a couple of big events in in Europe and, and actually particularly Barcelona that had these amazing creative campaigns, really conceptual campaigns. And I used to say to Lucky, I'm going, man, we don't have, we don't sort of, well, we don't have a lineup of of acts. We don't have DJs. We don't have bands. Like how, how do we keep, uh, how do we keep engaging people? And my first thing was like, just create cool campaigns that really resonate first and foremost with ourselves and i think you know every campaign i've done 
has those moments that you talk about where I go, wow, oh, that's cool. And we kind of did this, you know, the first however many were very kind of kind of creative campaigns. It was the most perfect time of a brand's existence. You can be as uh, disruptive as, as much as you want. As you sort of grow and mature and people rely on what you do, especially people going through cancer or depression or mental health, you know, that becomes a risk as far as let's not be so out there that we risk not helping these people. So we sort of started to really bring our campaigns back into it was probably the closest, uh, and the two, 2012 one, the father and son, was another moment. We based the campaign off a, off a poem by, from Rudyard Kipling um, called If. I, I actually wasn't aware of the poem until that particular year, and literally every line in that camp, every line of that poem is a campaign for, for men's health, right? So that was a, one of those moments of like, oh, yeah, okay, uh, this shit's starting to write itself, you know. <laughs> I think that was probably a really good way to put it. And 2013 campaign where we just went 100% rock and roll. We went super disruptive. We was like anti-establishment. And I, it was probably the point where the market was starting to sort of think, okay, I've been doing this thing called Movember for long, so long. And I wanted to really, I don't know, I was probably not struggling as a creative, but I was going, come on, we need to keep disrupting. I can't. I kind of felt we were starting to conform a little bit. And in hindsight, that was an that was a really good thing. Uh, so yeah, the, the 2013, the sort of Genmo campaign, as we we refer to it, uh, that really excited me because there's videos in there that are really powerful, really engaging, and I don't know. I think it kind of really cemented Movember as being kind of somewhat rock and roll and different, while still having this amazing product and the product was men's health. I can only imagine, I think, not only yourself, Lucky and everyone else in the team, just I think just actually taking a step back and seeing from the creation since 2003 to where we're coming up to 2020 and just also seeing how fast the organization has grown. And I wonder if you can talk more about, I think, from the moment when Movember transcended outside of Australia, like when you actually begin to see it connecting to other parts of the world and how you and everyone else in the organization, I think, worked in that space, you know, did you have to make any changes or were you or were you still able to keep disrupting? I think we did a little bit of everything, to be honest. Um, the first port of call was New Zealand because uh, we just knew, you know, our Kiwi brothers and sisters are pretty aligned with our our wit, our sense of humour, and understanding the, you know, the the language that we use. Um, then all of a sudden, we saw it pop up in uh, uh, Canada and London, and this was basically a couple of you know backpackers at the time or people travelling through through Melbourne in particular um, that saw this thing and took it back to their country. So, you know, we're straight on the phone, we're contacting them, hey, let's work together, let's do this, you know, it's already happening. And then, you know, you find that, you know, they weren't raising money in the first year in the UK potentially, you know. So we have to quickly jump in and protect the concept, protect the idea and just make sure the money was going where we we were telling people, you know. And, and it ended up more than fine. But it was that kind of initial push to go into those two particular countries that um, 
made us jump, you know. And then we went on a bit of a, a absolute self-funded tour um, to see where else it would resonate with. So, and it was, it was such a time of, you know, like rapid growth. Um, so, yeah, it was seven countries in one particular year. And with that, you need to make sure that you have a beneficiary partner that can actually accept the funds that, that are reputable and have boards of directors and, you know, their cost to fundraising ratios are acceptable. Um, you know, so, yeah, there was a lot of challenges and a lot of boxes to tick before we could actually get in there. But at the same time, we had to jump on every opportunity because, you know, we'd sit back and, I don't know, mate. felt like one of the catchphrases that we used to kind of say to ourselves is like, who are we to stop people raising money for for their, their own men or their own country or for themselves? Who are we to say, no, you can't do Movember because we're not registered in that particular country? We didn't see it like that. We're like, we have no choice, guys. We've got to go. We've got to help the guys in France. We've got to help the guys in Spain. We've got to help the guys in England. And with that and with the tight, small team, all I was doing from a brand perspective was not not customising it for other countries. I was like, nope, it's called Movember. No, it's moustache. No, it's for 30 days in that particular month. Oh, but it's cold in November. Can we do it in May? No. You know, and, and I'm kind of glad I did, I presume, you know, because, it, you know, looking back, we've definitely got this big, solid global brand. But, you know, it's probably one of the most pressure cooker times of my life. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, the lang- and the language, right, it's very, we're very, there's a lot of nuances with our language and our tone and our voice. You know, we've kind of got this, I don't know, there's an irreverence about it. And there's, a, there's an element of wit and Aussie humour that, you know, the Brits get so well, the Kiwis get so well, the South Africans get so well, you know, but then when you go into translating that into a, a, a another language, like uh, maybe, you know, French-Canadian or, or, you know, sort of U- European French, Spanish or German, you start to lose those, that that nuance that in your voice, that personality. So I spent a lot of time going, right, here's the translation, you know, having fun, doing good. How does that, what What do we say in France? You know, so I'm actually in, you know, going, reaching out to mates in Barcelona and to Paris going, how would you say this at a street level? Huge education as you go into, um, you know, other countries. And when I say other countries, the, the, the sort of the concept of you doing something Benjamin, and I'm going to give you money for doing it, and then you're going to pass that on to someone else. It's an it's very much an Anglo-Saxon way of doing something, you know. Let's take Barcelona for a moment. Oh, you're, I'm growing a mustache, so give me a bunch of money, and then I'm going to pass it on to a men's health organisation. Well, can we sound any dodgier, you know? It's like um, how do we educate people or cultures that that is actually a way of doing something and i'm again credit to movember the teams and just the audience and the people that embrace it because you know there's there's a particular kind of person that actually understands it and they're in every corner of the world it's been 17 campaigns 70 strategies 17 years and so with that how has the brand's uh, creative um, evolved throughout 
the 17 years. I, I love it when I hear people sort of say to me, oh, my God, your brand's so kind of, you know, schizophrenic and it jumps around and you just delete your brand every year and start again. I was like, no, they're called campaigns. They come and go. The brand actually has never changed, right? It's the same it's the same do's and don'ts. It's the same kind of, you know, essence. It's all that stuff, you know. It's uh, that really hasn't changed. Yeah, we've kind of maybe evolved, you know, like the, you know, the graphic package that sits alongside the brand over the years. But you know, um, it hasn't really changed. But what has had a radical shift is the campaigns, and this is, and also credit to whoever who mentions that to me is a lot of the times through that first sort of. I don't know, four or five years of November, people thought it was just a campaign. They didn't know there was an office somewhere with four people in there, you know, burning the candle at both ends. So I, I appreciate that. But uh, it was really those campaigns that came thick and fast and totally different. And they're lucky I'm going, hey, we, I get paid to go around and clean up the mess of other brands that have been around since the 70s or the 60s and I'll go, it's just such a waste of money, huh? Like if someone was just making sure that they used the same font family in every country, then it wouldn't look like a dog's breakfast. So I was going, how do we protect ourselves from that kind of mentality? And again, it's rule with an iron fist, unfortunately. Um, but what we could do is have these campaigns that were pretty wild and out there. And, you know, the first one we had, you know, United We Believe, and it was kind of a very much, a, you know, aliens uh, you know kind of you know sasquatches you know all the the super normal kind of thing and it was kind of the thing was i saw a mustache and it was coming straight at me and it was hairy i didn't know what it was and then we went into this kind of i took it into a trilogy about to focus on the gentleman and you know 2010 11 and 12 was this modern you know modern gentleman in 2010 and that was really a kind of our first big health by stealth campaign where you could uh, not only were we talking about mustaches, uh, we were also talking about um, the cultural aspects of being a gentleman in, and, and a gentleman in, in sort of the modern era. And what does chivalry mean? What does dapper being mean in a, in a generation or a time when you don't need a suit and tie? Chivalry, you know, how do you do that? I'm sure you laid your jacket down in 2010 and some girl would probably look at you and go, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> so it was kind of challenging us as guys to be better humans, but through not just talking about our health, but to being um, looking after ourselves inside and out and being kind of, you know, better men, better people. So that was that was kind of the start of that. And then, you know, we went to the Country Gentleman campaign in 2011 and that was... It's the same kind of concept, but we started to focus on, you know, the outback or rural parts of the world and things like that. And what is what is what does it mean to be a gentleman in 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 the country and have this juxtapose of what we had just done in sort of like an urban landscape? And that was great. It was really really nice. And you know, tips and tricks on not only how to look after yourself or how to go and get tested or how to start a conversation with your mate, but also how to tie a knot and to start a fire or to, how to fillet a fish and things like this and that's we started doing cookbooks uh, i have a really good friend of ours who's a chef who's based in london so we went straight to him on how do we create recipes that are right for men you know then we went on and on and on and you know now the importance of the cause and the conversation just naturally started to outweigh the importance of the irreverence and the disruption 
we're in the year 2020 that has upended or has drastically changed, I think, everyone's day-to-day life, you could say. I mean, you know, I just for everyone listening is that we are actually recording this remotely now. So how has COVID affected Movember, not only for this year, but also potentially for years to come? You know what? I, I don't think Movember is any different than anyone else. You know, the culture of Movember is really good. It's really strong. Uh, there's amazing there's amazing team of people in sort of, you know, all the countries that we operate in. And that's really important to us. It's, you know, we're all about mates, whether that's guys and guys and guys and girls and girls and girls. You know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day to us. It's, um, we're all in this together. So having that, having that sort of, you know, connection is gone but that's for everyone right that's not just us specifically um and you know what if there's there's there you know movember's in a really good spot to actually work in this capacity because we share so much knowledge between our offices there's kind of rarely duplicates of you know work being done in corners of the world we share all our kind of marketing plans and communication plans and we share ambassadors we share partners you know we try to run it so efficiently and effectively we're an organization that spends a lot of time on slack and zoom and you know traditionally skype and all that kind of stuff so you know we're very accustomed to working uh in this kind of capacity and saying that i think it's going to make us even more efficient um, and even more effective, I think we can use. We've we've always been an organisation that's focused on embracing technology and using it at its best to, again, you know, just streamline so much. And you know, I mean, we were we were bought in two thousand three. You know, kind of what is it? Yeah, YouTube didn't come along to two thousand and six. So we're kind of. You know, even though, yeah, we're pushing 20 years, I still think we were born into the, the era of technology, like, and not just the first phase of technology. So we've always embraced it, you know, because we just, we wanted to be smart about it. And uh, I think, you know, COVID-19 will actually make us uh, not streamline things even more look at things totally different I, like every other company on the planet are huh? everyone's now looking at doing things slightly different um i love the way movember ha- has protected all the staff and you know i i, I think you know they're, they're doing such a really good job in staying connected um looking after each other checking in uh doing all the right things and enjoying the downtime as well which i think is extremely important during this time and yeah, and also trying to look after the guys that are need something like Movember more than ever. You know, when you're looking at the relationship um, struggles um, or the, you know, maybe potentially the unemployment or the lack of physical activity and all this kind of stuff or, you know, everyone needs a purpose in life, right? And when sometimes that's taken away from you uh, or not, maybe not even sometimes, that's when the challenges of, of life begin. And you know, November is going to be need to be there more than more than ever. It's going to be need to be present more than ever. Um, and I know the guys are doing an amazing job behind the scenes of actually preparing and being ready for that. You know, and yeah, everything at Movember.com, we just try to get it there as much as humanly possible. But unfortunately, you have to. There is such a huge amount of information. This you know, 1,200 men's health programs going on plus at Movember, you know, so there is, um, 
an extreme amount of data and research and findings, outcomes, impacts, you know, that we need to get up there. And that's, uh, that's what we do. For the record, my fiance absolutely loves it whenever I do have a mustache, actually. So, you know, which is very, very nice of her. Um, also, as you know, very, very quickly, um, I do actually understand that that Movember are going to be bringing out a Monopoly board soon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is super exciting, um, you know, to be, you know, not, not just exciting. It's kind of so, I mean, so honoured to be able to work with an organisation or a brand like Monopoly and, and, and Hasbro, the people behind it, you know. So, yeah, it's it's been really exciting. You know, I'm kind of not even... I'm kind of lost for words, to be honest. You know, when you when you think about we've all grown up with with the board game, they're they're absolute pop culture counterculture. You know, they're they're it's something that's a, a, a truly is a household name. You know, Monopoly, and when you look at the absolute myriad of brands and organisations and people that have come before us that have been able to do something with Monopoly, um, yeah, it's, I'm so humbled by that. It's really really cool. They're great bunch of crew to work with and uh yeah it was awesome they um you know we got to choose all our little fun spots that kind of meant something along the november journey and you know fed squares there right um you know there's a big history of november at fed square i i think probably the first time i ever got abused from a random person for having a random mustache was at transport bar in 2003 so passionate lady decided to spend the night telling Lucky and I what she thought of moustaches. Outside of obviously uh, people uh, growing uh, moustaches, how uh, how else can the public get involved? Well, there's a couple of ways. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always a big fan of get everyone to Movember.com. That's that's where we live. That's, that's our life. Um, so, you, you know, there's sort of the three main areas are obviously growing a moustache for 30 days, starting clean shaven on the first, and then growing and flowing and showing that thing the whole way through the month. Um, not growing a beard, boys, and then shaving in a moustache on the 28th of November. I know who does that. <laughs> um, and also the other two things are, are moving, um, moving and hosting. So you basically can... Uh, you know, you can take up the, the the move challenge, which is basically, you know, either obviously the ultimate thing is to get your mustache moving, um, but you know, it is also our alternative to if you if you if your kids just <laughs> won't come near you for thirty days, then we get it. So you know, you can you can definitely move. Um, and there's some epic moves as well. There's some big moves, there's small moves, and everything's at Movember.com. Uh, hosting a party, hosting a Movember event, getting people together. I, traditionally, this is something that happens a lot within organisations um, and different different companies. I think that might be a bit of a challenge this year, but at the same time, there's going to be there's so many cool online platforms and there's so many neighbours that can you know get together and you know the rest of the world isn't under the restrictions that we are here in Melbourne. So hosting is hosting an event is a is a big one there's you know and all the information and all the hosting packs and all that you can download them all on movember.com and then there's another one like we're calling mow your own way and um you know basically it's kind of you know sort of again through through because of the current climate 
there are alternative ways to do your mustache thing. And apart from that, checking in on a mate, looking after you, looking after yourself, and looking after your friends, staying physically active. And I know that's not Movember, but that's just that's just the end result at the end of the day. You know what we all really need to do. And um, I'm super proud of the Australians and all that in my life that are here in you know, that are really looking after each other. It's it's really uh it's really commendable. So Movember.com, sign up and, you know, donate it. You know, we have Mo Space there and you can basically, you know, you register and 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 again it's you know, it's basically you become part of the global movement. It's not just about growing a Mo by yourself and and, and annoying your boss this is also signing up and showing that you're part of this thing that wants change and we can take these numbers to governments and we can challenge tradition we can challenge the norm when we know what numbers we have it's not an online petition but we can use it like that you know so yeah making sure you you register to be part of the part of the movement so it's a really it's a really important thing and we can we can use that we can as a group yeah ultimately change the face of mental Excellent. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Travis. Thank you. Big ups and big thanks to um, Fed Square. New episodes of Anything But Square are released every Wednesday and we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and sign up to our newsletter at fedsquare.com.